0: It is the Christmas season, and so hopefully by now you've had a lot of fun. You've been watching your Christmas movies. you got some stuff set up at your house. Maybe you're the Grinch or the Scrooge, and you're like, you just can't wait for January. I get it. I've been that guy, too. Uh, but as I have kids and as they get older, the more I'm like, this is, this is just fun. It's a special time of year for us, but... In, in the midst of all that tradition, I hope that you're paying attention to the Christmas story that Christians hold on to about the birth of Jesus. And, and we're in this teaching series right now called Unto- Unto- Untold Stories. The idea is the kind of traditional and basic Christmas story is that nativity scene, right? There's a away in a manger, no crib for a bed. There's you know, Silent Night, Holy Night, and there's Mary and Joseph huddled around a a manger, and there's that scene, and, and that's the story. We tapped into that a little bit last week, but the point of this series is to say that there's more going on behind the curtains than we initially see. And so last week, for example, we said not only is it a birth story, it's a war story. And if you missed last week's message, I want you to go catch up on the podcast. We also bank all of our videos on YouTube. You got to hear this story. We got into Revelation chapter 12, which is, let's be honest, kind of a nervous place to get for a lot of Christians. Like, Revelation, why are we even there? There's a dragon, okay? So if there's nothing else to look, there's a dragon, all right? So if you're like, why in the world is there a dragon in the Christmas story? There is Revelation 12. Read it. Go listen to the podcast. But the coolest thing happened this week. I was with a friend who doesn't go to our church. He's a Christian, goes to another church in another town, completely unaware of what we're teaching right now. And he said to me, hey, I got something cool to tell you. I just got a red dragon from my nativity set. And I was like, sweet! And he's like, I bet you don't know why. I said, I bet I do. And he was like, what? So, yeah. so if you don't know what I'm talking about, sorry. You missed it last week, but it's on the internet. You can go catch up. Uh, this week, we're changing gears because not only is it a birth story, and not only is it a war story, because it's a battle for our soul, this week you might wanna fight me in these first new few seconds, because this week, the Christmas story is a political story. Anybody wanna fight. It's not November. We can't fight yet. Uh, political story, ugh. Politics? I mean, does anybody love politics? Yes, some people do. I don't. I want to tell you, uh, we're not talking about Republicans versus Democrats today, thank goodness. We're ta- not talking about conservative versus progressive today, or we're not whatever uh, dirty nicknames you came up for the people you don't like. We're not... First of all, that's not helping, so stop. But we're not talking about that type of politics because politics isn't just about government. Though, though Jesus' story certainly touches on government stuff a lot, but politics is actually something deeper than that. Politics is about who has the influence and the influence that someone has been given. Like when people say it's not about what you know, it's about who you know. That's politics, and it happens everywhere. I learned about it first in youth sports. Anybody play youth sports and learn about politics? My guess is if you played a lot, you didn't learn about politics. If you didn't play a lot, you did. Uh, so I play baseball and I'll go ahead and tell you, I was not the best player on the team, okay? I was not the best player team. But I was at least not the worst, I'm pretty positive. I was at least second worst, okay? I was at least second worst, but there was another kid on my team who I'm pretty sure was worse than me, like he couldn't catch or throw or hit, I don't know if he could tie his shoes like by himself, like I'm not positive, but he always started and he always played the whole game. Well, I sat on the bench and learned how to juggle, because that's what you do if you don't play baseball, but you're at the baseball game. I'm a pretty good juggler, Um, (laughs) years of juggling practice. But this guy played all the time, and I'm going to tell you, it wasn't because he was better than me. There's one reason why he played all the time, at least in my, uh, you know, seven-year-old memory. Do you know why? His dad was the coach. Politics. He got to play, and, you know, youth sports would teach you a lot about politics. We can learn a lot about politics from a young age. We can learn that uh, we see that some kids get away with some things while other kids Don't get away with some things. You ever notice that? It happens as adults. Some people get promotions when other people should have gotten promotions, but they got promotions instead. So what did I learn about politics as a kid in baseball? I learned that my dad should have been a baseball coach. That's what I learned. (laughs) I could have played a lot more. That's politics. Who has the influence? I've heard that politics uh, is three Ps. So the three Ps of politics are the distribution of power, position, and prestige. That's politics. I've heard a fourth one added, uh, possessions you know, or property, something like that. And so it's about it's about the, the power. It's about the, the prestige. It's about the position. Last week, we looked at the basic Christmas story from Luke chapter 2. Okay, so we're going to be there again in just a minute. If you've got a Bible, I want to encourage you to open it up and read along. It's going to really help you follow the train of thought here. We've got Bibles in the back that you can have for free, free. If you want to go borrow one for the service, you can have it. Uh, For the rest of your life, if you want to put your name in the front, it's yours. We want everybody to have a good Bible. Or if you just need to borrow it for a little while, feel free to just grab it and and put it back at the end of the service or look it up on your phone. We're going to be in Luke. We're going to start in chapter 1 today. Luke is one of the biographies of the life of Jesus. There are four. And Luke's biography uh, of Jesus is, is one that's focused on being well-researched and having details like dates and people and events because he was more of a historian. He was actually a physician by trade. But his goal was, as I write out the story of Jesus, I want it to be something that can be uh, you know, verified historically. And so there's some pretty cool things in there that... Through the years, uh, scholars have determined like, wow, okay, that helps Luke. Thank you for telling it that way. Luke, and we'll be in chapter 1. I think we we'll are starting verse 28. Um, this is the lesson I want us to understand, is that God's politics are not our politics. That's the big lesson of, of the Christmas story being a political story. God's politics are not our politics. And we're going to see that through a few, uh, you know, I'm going to call them exhibits throughout the Christmas story. And we actually see it in many, many places uh, in Scripture. But the Christmas story is another one. And we're going to start with Exhibit A. Ever heard of Mary, the mother of Jesus? Exhibit A. Now, today, she's one of the most well-known figures in the world. Some people practically, if not literally, worship Mary. Okay, she's very, very prominent in the world. But when she first hits the scene, she's nobody. And that's where we're gonna pick her up. Uh, Luke chapter one, starting in verse 28. Here's the story. There's an angel that shows up. It says, the angel went to her, Mary, and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words, as you would be if an angel shows up to you and starts talking, and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. I don't know if you caught uh, that fourth to the last word, kingdom, this is a political story. Mary had been engaged to a carpenter, also kind of a nobody, blue-collar worker. Uh, He might have been a good carpenter, I don't know, I've never seen any of his work, Um, but he was just an average Joe, uh, average Joseph, I guess, and he he was someone who was kind of on the lower tier of society, Mary. Mary was... 14 years old, maybe. We don't know exactly how old she was, but she was very young. In that culture, it would have been common for a young girl to have been married off. And she was probably going to be relegated to the same thing that girls her age in the Middle East have done for centuries, which is to marry, have children, keep house, and be forgotten by history. That's kind of what Women in the Middle East have done for generations. Um, On top of that, she lived in Jewish society, which was very male-centric. And uh, women didn't have much power, position, or prestige. Politically, they had little to offer. They couldn't be part of a a, a ruling uh, position, like, politically. But not only that, like, their testimony in a court of law wasn't even allowed. Why? Because they're a woman. Is that okay? No, it's not okay. It's a cultural thing that I'm so glad has shifted so much in our culture. But that's the world. It was the ancient times, okay? And this is how things are going. But this angel shows up to Mary and says, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will have a child. You will give birth to a son. You are to give him the name Jesus. And all of this that has become Christianity and God's whole plan that we're going to get to in just a second, it all begins with a conversation with a young girl in the middle of nowhere who was destined to be faded into obscurity. You know, God could have entered the world any way that he wanted to. He could have, he could have had Jesus be born into royalty, you know, a prince or something, who would one day inherit an empire and just come in and be like, all right, well, God's here and I happen to be the king of the world, literally, and so we're going to remake things. It could have at least come like in modern times and be born to a nice suburban family with an SUV and a you know, dog and like some influence, right? But no. God chose to enter the world through the family of Mary. Not to mention the fact that there were all kinds of rumors that abounded about Mary. Uh, she wasn't yet married to who would become her husband, Joseph. And it was a miraculous birth but man, the rumors begin to fly. Maybe you have been in the middle of those rumors. You were pregnant as a teenager, or maybe you have a family member or a friend who was, and people don't say nice things. And right in the middle of that, God comes near. God's politics are not our politics. God picks someone with no power, no privilege, no prestige. That's exhibit A, Mary. And I think we can learn something about God's politics here, and this is the politics That Jesus came to be king, yes, but he came to be king of an upside-down kingdom. That's a phrase that people have used a lot, that Jesus is king of an upside-down kingdom. You know, when Jesus started his ministry, he made it clear. A lot of the things he teaches, the majority of the things he teaches is like, the kingdom of heaven is like this. And then he says something, and the whole audience is just like, what? That's not how we would do kingdom. But the kingdom of heaven is an upside-down kingdom. And and to kick this off, he reveals his plans to change the world by entering as a savior to this girl named Mary. And that was not lost on Mary. Listen to what she says. Later on in chapter one, uh, we get a prayer that's recorded by Mary. And in verse 46, we get this. She says, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. Listen to this. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant and from now on all generations will call me blessed mary knew that she was nobody and she praised god because of it that god was willing to work through her the politics of god are not our politics you jump down to verse 50 of this passage luke chapter 1 verse 50 she continues to pray she says so his mercies extend to those who fear him from generation to generation he has performed mighty deeds with his arms he has scattered those who are proud These are the people up here on the prestige level. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. And he has brought down rulers from their thrones. But he has lifted up, who? The humble. He has filled the hungry with good things. And he has sent the rich away empty. Now, just a quick note here. When you talk about money, politics and influence and wealth or poverty i want to clarify something it's not that god will only use poor people a lot of poor people are scoundrels (laughs) and it's not that god won't use wealthy people or middle class people in fact all throughout the story of god he's using a lot of middle class and upper class people to great benefit it's about a state of your heart when we're talking about humble in a lot of ways so this is not just like a bank account thing. It's like, ooh, oh, too much, can't come in. But God's politics are not like our politics. The things that impress us don't impress him. I'll give you an example. Have you ever been to the Biltmore Estate in Asheville? Anybody been to the Biltmore Estate? A couple of years ago, I got to go with my family. I got a picture of us here. This is my family. We got it. There it is. Look at that mansion. This is back when my kids were cute. I don't know what happened. Um, they, they're... But that's the Biltmore Mansion. This place, okay, this place is amazing. It is fantastic. It is the largest, uh, like, single-family dwelling in America. All right, no one lives there now. It's like a museum now. But at a time, if there was like a guy and his family lived there, there are 250 bedrooms in this house. If if, if you're feeling like cramped in your 900 square foot apartment. I mean, you could, they wouldn't even know you were here. You could just live upstairs, and they would never even know that you were here. Uh, it's furnished with some of the finest furniture ever curated. I'm talking about stuff from, like, Louis XIV's bedroom. It's like, oh, yeah, that was his bed. He slept on that. It's there. You can see it. Uh, it was built by one of the most highly esteemed architects of the day. They used imported glass. They in, used intricate carvings of the masonry work all over the building. It's incredible. There's a botanical garden inside the house, Okay, this place is amazing. And then outside the house, the the grounds were designed by the same person who designed uh, Central Park in New York. Same guy. It's very impressive. And so you're walking through these manicured lawns and these hedges and these trees that are perfectly placed and just all this stuff. Something like Biltmore is incredible. And so me and my family, we're walking through like this. Actually, you saw my kids. They're very young. They were more like, it's time to go home yet. But me and my wife are like, wow, this is amazing. This is incredible. We're blown away. And maybe you've had that experience at a friend's house. You know that friend, okay? Even if you have a really nice house, there's someone else's house that you look at and you're like, "Man, if I had the seven-car garage with the Lambo, that'd be sweet, right?" Like we all have this stage that we look at and we're like, "Man, that's awesome if only if only if only." And we got our jaws dropped to the floor because we are easily impressed. Meanwhile, God's like, "You got a fancy house? <laughs> you seen the heavens and the earth? I made that. You ever seen a sunset?" my idea the things that impress us just they don't impress God your bank account is impressive good for you I hope you're generous oh by the way don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where rust will destroy and thieves will break in and steal but instead store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and rust and thieves cannot ruin them he's not impressed by what we're impressed with your resume is stacked good for you you went to MIT must have been hard to get in. Oh yeah, I'm the king of kings. And the Lord of lords. Everyone will bow down to me eventually, whether they want to or not. The things that impress us do not impress God. When God sees the power of man, he's like, mm, I seem better. God's not looking to be impressed by you. He's not looking for your position or your power. God's looking to be worshiped by you. The Christmas story teaches us God's view on position. Exhibit A was Mary. Uh, the entire narrative of Jesus goes on like this. I mean, before in the Old Testament, back to the New Testament, Jesus is teaching all of this. But I want, I, we're in this Christmas story, so let's just take a look at another. And there's several. The second one I want to look at is, is the, the announcement of Jesus' arrival. Okay, and this is about the shepherds. We're actually in Luke chapter 2 now, so you are going to flip the page. We're going to Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 8. And we read some of this last week. Listen to this. It says, There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, and they were keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, the shepherds, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people, because today in the town of David, a Savior is born. He's the Messiah. He's the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find that baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Then, this is so cool, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel. So we had one angel. Now we got like, boom, the sky is full of angels. Praising God and saying, so they're singing now, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. So after this big concert, it says when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, well, let's go to Bethlehem. And see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has told us about. Those of you guys who are parents in the room, I'm curious. uh, Who were the first people that you told that you were going to have a baby? Or who were the first people that you told after your baby was born? My guess is it was a very special group of people, especially if your kids are a little bit older. I realize that today, now when our babies are born, we, we post a picture on Instagram and 1,700 of your closest friends know immediately. So that's, it's not as special as it used to be. But there was a time where it was like you couldn't tell everybody very quickly. Uh, and so I, I remember uh, when, our first son, when our first child, our son, Silas, was born, there was no Facebook. Uh, but this new thing had come up. You might have heard of it. It was called Text messaging. Big deal. It was like a real big deal. In fact, initially me and Lindsay were like, what are we ever going to do with this? Like I can't even, there's no keyboard. How do I type it out? But also you could text pictures. So our plan was pretty simple. We created, I believe, my first ever group text. And, and our plan was this. It was it was, it was a special people in our life. It was our parents who were kind of out, you know, right in the city. They, they were ready. They knew the baby was coming. Uh, and, our, and our closest friends. That was it. There might have been, I don't know, 12 people on that list. And the whole idea was once uh, he was born, we took a picture of him. I think it was the first picture I ever texted, too. And that's special. And it went out, uh, and, and our friends knew. And everybody rejoiced with us because our son was here. And, like, have you ever been on the receiving end of a phone call like that? The baby's here, you know, eight pounds, four ounces, or whatever it is. Like, this is, this is the baby, the baby's here, and it's so exciting. Or maybe you've gotten the call hey, we're gonna have a baby. And we generally keep that message to like the most important people in our lives. God has this plan to come into the world. He's been setting it up for thousands of years. He's created an entire nation to be the conduit through which he would come into the world. It's going to be the salvation of all mankind's sin. And who's the first person he texts? What's his group text? There were shepherds nearby keeping watch over their flocks at night. These guys were at work. Shepherds. Exhibit B. The politics of God are not our politics. You know, shepherds, they weren't royalty, they weren't politically prominent, they were blue collar workers, they had no position. In fact, they have no social plug-in whatsoever because they're constantly moving the flock around to pasture the sheep. And, and so they weren't plugged in. They didn't know what was going on in the you know, community organizations. They weren't part of the Roarton Club or whatever. They were out in the fields so much so that people didn't trust shepherds. They just saw them as these kind of aimless vagabonds and how do I trust a shepherd? So much so that they weren't able to give testimony in a court of law. Does that sound familiar? Just like Jesus' mom. But God's politics are not our politics so when he wants to make his announcement to the world he tunes up the angel choir and he says I got you a great venue some fields outside of Bethlehem go make the announcement these are the politics of God his love isn't just for the prominent it's not just for people who have their lives together it's for anyone who's willing to turn their heart towards God. These are the politics of God. And, and we've only looked at two parts of the Christmas story, Mary and the shepherd. We could look at other parts of the story. For example, Jesus is going to be raised in a town called Nazareth. And at the time, there was this phrase going around that was like, this is what people said about Nazareth. They said, has anything good ever happened in Nazareth? That's like a thing people say. You know, New York is you know, the big apple. And has anything good ever happened in Nazareth? That was literally like their nickname, Jesus is like, I'm going to grow up there. That's my plan because my politics are not like man's politics. And as Jesus would begin to teach, wow, the things that he would teach would just blow up. The book of Matthew, if you've read the book of Matthew, great. But I want you to try reading it this this coming year like this. I've heard it called the Mumser Gospel, okay? And Mumser is a Hebrew word that means outsider or outcast. And as you look through the book of Matthew... He seems to intentionally, his agenda as he writes a biography of the life of Jesus is to show just how much Jesus could care less about the politics of man. He is constantly reaching out to the outsider and the outcast. He invests in sinners and sick people and poor people and people with bad reputations and he rebukes the goody-goody religious people for their lack of compassion and their lack of faith and he takes time to sit down with children even though he was a super busy guy and he would listen to them and he showed respect to women in a time when no one would show respect to women and they were being relegated to the back seat and he said no 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 you sit here you sit at my feet and you listen because you matter to me and over and over he states that the things of this world and the things that this world cares about are not the things that god is concerned with and there's so many lessons to be learned from the teachings of jesus But I think like, if I was going to make a top three list, I don't know what the order would be. Over and over and over and over and over, this principle seems to rise to the top in Jesus' teaching. And it's this, that we are to love people through humility. That seems to be the lesson of Jesus. Challenge it. Go read all of his life and see where he does something different than that. To love people by lowering himself and lifting them up. To love people who are outcast and forgotten and, and, and thrown out of society and to make them matter in his kingdom. This is just how Jesus goes. And he summarizes the politics of God in several places, but one of my favorite is in Mark chapter 10, verse 43 through 45. If you've been around the church for very long, you might have heard this. Mark 10, 43, Mark 10 43 says this. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must your servant and whoever wants to be first must be servant of all for even the son of man that's jesus he's like even i did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many i had a friend this week uh, who said this and it blew my mind it was actually like two weeks ago he said this but it blew my mind he said you know if jesus came to be served how dare we expect anything more ourselves no sorry if Jesus came to serve and be a servant how dare we expect it was profound when I didn't mess it up that was his goal and when we read this thing it's so crazy and the craziest thing about this passage to us and if you've ever heard this passage before the craziest thing is to wrap our mind about how can you like how can you be a servant and be great what servants are great is that's not that's not what society has ever taught no, if you want to be great, you got to be great. If you want to be a servant, you get walked on. Like, that's what it means to be a servant. So when we read that, the very first thing we think of is like, oh, wow, that's profound that you got to be a servant to be, to be great. But the most upside down thing Jesus said and did was not just that. It was actually the last, uh, the last line of that. Maybe uh, Kelsey, we could put that back up there. This is what he says. He says, he came to give his life as a ransom for many. That's the craziest thing that he said in that passage. Not that you got to be a servant to be great, but that God came to give his life as a ransom. God, you know what a ransom is. It's like, it's like a price you pay. We think about a ransom note. Someone gets, I don't know, kidnapped, or there's some sort of terrorism situation. It's like, I write you a note. These are my demands. And God says to evil and to sin and to the penalty of sin, he said, I'll pay that. I'll pay that. Let them go. That's crazy. That God would release himself from the pleasures of heaven and come down here to do that. Where are you with Jesus right now? Like, what does that mean to you? I know that... I would guess most of us in this room are like, yeah, I'm on page with Jesus. Like, I keep coming to church every week, so that's my goal, right? I want to be on the same page with Jesus, and I want to do these things. That's exciting. And so I've got amazing news for for you and really for all of us. This This is, some would call it, I bring you good news that would cause great joy for all people. An angel once said that, that no matter your background, no matter your baggage, it doesn't matter who your daddy was or your mama was, it doesn't matter how much money you got in your bank account, our God is crazy about you. And he's provided a way back to him by lowering himself and giving his own life. That's the gospel. That's the story of not only Christmas but the whole message of Christianity. And an untold story of Christmas is this a political story to flip this world upside down and to teach us how to live and build this upside down kingdom with Jesus as our king. Maybe you're ready to make that jump today. Maybe you've been coming to church for a little while or you came with a friend or or maybe you grew up in church. You kind of get the Christmas story or the Jesus story and you're like, okay, I'm ready. I want to turn my life over to God. I need to do this. Can I just tell you, man, you couldn't make a better decision in all your life. Just do it. Go all in. You will not regret it. It's not the easy road, but it's the straight road. It's the road that takes us to God. And so maybe you're in a place right now where you're ready to make that decision. Let me just give you an opportunity to to make that decision here in a few minutes. Uh, And I wanna go ahead and say our our elders that are here today and some of our spiritual leaders who have done this in the past, uh, if you guys would please at our communion time, just go be back at the rear communion table there and be available. And anybody in the room that just wants to talk through some of that stuff, go back there and talk with them. You can pray with them. And if you decide you wanna become a Christian today, I mean, they can talk to you about that. And I'm gonna tell you what, we can set it up. You can get baptized today. You can begin your walk with Jesus today. New start today, boom! Because this news is for you. It doesn't matter your background, or your badges, uh, baggage. God's for you, and He loves you, and He has lowered Himself to show you His love. But I'm going to guess that a lot of you've already taken that step. You're a Christian. You're a believer. You've got this idea that you want to follow Jesus, and maybe you're ready to jump in. So let's talk. It's time for you to make God's politics your politics. You know what it means to be a disciple. That's what the believers were called at first. A disciple is a follower. A disciple is a student. A learner. And the goal of a disciple is to imitate their teacher. Our politics need to become the politics of God. And we've got to start living as a citizen of this up down, upside-down kingdom. And so in the time that we got left, I want to kind of give us biggest, uh, issue us a challenge, something that we need to take into our Christmas season, something we need to take into the new year, and something that you can begin to implement, like, right away. And I'm going to start by taking a look at one of my favorite passages in the Bible. It's in Philippians chapter 2. And this is the Apostle Paul, and he's giving some, te- some teachings on what it means to live in the upside-down kingdom of Jesus. And he says this in Philippians chapter 2. We're going to start at verse 3. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit Pauls Do nothing out of selfishness like this is first lesson rather so instead in humility value others above yourself not looking to your own interests but each of you to the interests of others And then this next part is just a kick in the pants. It's a reminder of what this actually means. If we're going to be a disciple of Jesus and we're going to let his politics become our politics and we're going to live in his upside-down kingdom, verse 5 says, so in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Well, what is that? Well, thanks, Paul. He's going to give it to us. Verse 6, this is the mindset of Christ Jesus, who in very nature was God. He didn't consider equality with God. Something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. How did he do that? This is the Christmas story. By taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. Even death on a cross. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Now, the rest of the story is that he was given resurrection. By his own power, he rose from the grave. You know what's really cool? Is that when we're baptized into Christ, I love in Romans chapter 6, it says that anyone who is baptized in Christ has been raised to walk in newness of life. When we laid ourselves down, we also get a resurrection. In talking with a friend a couple of weeks ago, I was reminded that the kingdom of God is Now. It's not like something we wait for like after we die. It's it's not heaven like some future thing. No, now Jesus is king. Now we get to live and walk in that kingdom. And it begins for us when we're raised to walk in newness of life. And so we again get to model that picture that Jesus modeled of death and resurrection. And so this week, what's our challenge? Every week we have a challenge. and, and, And it's a culture that I love that we're adopting here. And I have talked to so many of you through the weeks that are saying, I'm doing this. Every week we have a challenge and the expectation is if you're part of this body and that you're going to be part of the the, the same growth pattern that we're all a part of, we're going to do our best to live out these challenges every week. This week's challenge is huge and it's one that you can start almost immediately and it's not one you're going to get to do once. You're going to get to do it like maybe thousands of times this week. So even if you mess up a few times, you'll have chances to get it right. This is the challenge. This week, as often as possible, put others first and yourself last. Last. Let that sink in. Take a picture of it, whatever you got to do. This week, as often as possible, put others first. Now, that's step one, okay? Step one, put others first. And yourself last. Jesus said that the greatest in his kingdom are the ones who are servants of all. And that's hard because we don't like to be last. I'll be second or third. Fourth is not bad. Last? Come on, Jesus. And he's like, no, I man, I left heaven for you, okay? You can get out of the way for a minute, unless somebody, and, and, and it's not just because it's like, this is the formula for scoring big with God. No, it's because this is how we build the upside-down kingdom. Like today at lunch, don't rush to get the biggest slice of pizza. Let someone else have it. Imagine how happy they would be if they got the biggest slice of pizza. And guess what? You're still gonna eat if two small pieces is the same as one big piece. You're still going to eat. You don't need the biggest slice. Put others first and go last. Imagine the difference that would make. As often as, of, as often as possible, put others first and yourself last. Or when you're at home this week and your whole family's arguing over what we're going to watch on TV. Oh my goodness, there's too many things to watch on TV. Do you live with kids? <laughs> but guess what? Decide. You can choose. I'll watch what you want to watch except for one of those Barbie shows. I don't get, we're not doing that, okay? But I'm just kidding. We'll watch it. We'll, let um, someone else go first. You take a back seat as often as possible. Put others first and put yourself last. So when you're in the grocery store line, okay, and you're right there, you're like second, and you're like, I gotta get out of here because I don't know, but I'm just constantly in a hurry, so I gotta get out of here. But instead of that, instead of that and you look behind you, and there's a mom back there with three kids, and she's about to rip her hair out because they will not whatever she wants them to do, you go, hey, you wanna get up here? Come on up. Wow, you got a lot of groceries. Is that two carts? Okay. (laughs) All right. As often as possible, put others first and yourself last. And what does that do? It begins to rebuild the world. They may never pay that forward. Odds are good they will. But that's not the point. The politics of God are not the politics of man. When you're at work and that task comes up, that no one ever wants to do. Clean the bathrooms, clean up a spill on aisle six, or whatever, like whatever it is, nobody wants to do it, so you're about to do that game where everybody's about to draw straws, and you know, whoever draws the short straw gets to do the job no one wants to No, volunteer to take the short straw. I'll do it. That's how the upside-down kingdom of Jesus works. And as we begin to do that, we will change the world you live in. There will be less stress and there will be more joy and i'm going to tell you something you will still have everything you need and when we're living in the upside down kingdom of jesus it brings heaven closer and the kingdom of god is alive and well your actions echo the humility of your lord people see the very heart of god As they watch you take a back seat and let them go first. And so that's the politics of God. And that is an untold story of Christmas. Let's pray together this morning.